And we're off. Well, you sprung that one on me. I did. I did. Surprise attacked you. Middle of notes. Do you still need to take notes? No, I never take notes. (laughs) Normally you just recite the Bible. Ring-a-ding-ding-ding-ding. I thought... Sorry. No, I was just going to explain that strange noise I just made. Yes, do it. Because it will lead into mine. Our president, I always get her title wrong. I'm not a titles guy, you know? Yeah. Rosemary Vanderweel. Very Dutch name. It is. Uh, and it's two words. It really took me a while to learn how to spell Vanderweel, that. Vanderweel, yeah. yeah. But uh, Rosemary Vanderweel, we were in a meeting a couple weeks ago, and she was kind of loopy because she's got her two kids now. I said something, and she goes, well, ring a ding 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 And I was like, what the heck just happened? Have you, like, get off the methamphetamines. But um, apparently that's from The Office. It is. Which I have not seen that episode, but it, I haven't seen too many episodes of The Office. Really? I've seen some, but not oh, too many. That is, like, my go-to zone out. Steph actually hates that show, like, with a passion. Really? Oh. Like, I turn it on and she's, no, no. It seems like everyone loves that show. So, yeah, so that's I agree. I'm surprised. It's really funny though. So did you see this guy today? Steph signed up. All of a sudden I was on the, my email the other day and it's like new subscription to the Daily uh, Wire. You got, uh, I got that leftist tears showed up at the house. Uh, coffee cup deal. But they've been putting out the funniest content with uh, where they incorporate the office. They'll like show a clip of our real president and then it will like cut to Michael Scott. It's I, I don't know if I've ever laughed harder. Like oh, incorporating the office into it is hysterical. You got to look it up. So how are you? I'm okay. I'm like, re, re-entry is hard. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Coming off a, a big wedding. We, yes, we had a great wedding. Yep. Not Patrick and I getting no. married. But, God, we got to be careful with that. But, uh, <laughs> so I just got to say, so we, we were at a wedding in Mexico. Yep. And I'm going to say, because Father V told Told the whole congregation at Lords that I was in Mexico, which I'm like, oh, yeah, cats out the bag. I know. I which, didn't know that. I'm not like trying to hide things, but generally speaking, I just don't. You know, yeah. I'm, if I'm gone, not everybody needs to know where I'm at. All That's the time. right. And so I've gotten like a hundred comments this week. Really? Oh, people have been asking me left <laughs> and right. Yeah, I've missed that. Apparently, we said something about it on the podcast that too, because somebody told me they we said something on the podcast. We shouted out uh, Nicole and Keenan, but we may have. May have mentioned it. I'm not sure. Yeah, we probably did. But anyway, congratulations to them. They uh, they're now Mr. and Mrs. Keenan and Nicole Black, and so congratulations to them. Yeah, and I was caught off guard. We actually had a few listeners coming out of uh, that were in attendance. So that's correct. Shout out Cindy and Bobby, J Mart's kids. So Cindy uh, really surprised attacked me, and I. At first, I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I was like, oh, yeah, they're referring to the podcast. And uh, good old Brian and Marcy. Um, phenomenal families. And I really appreciate the fact they listen to our jargon. As I always say, I'm pretty amazed anyone listens. That's right. <laughs> to anything I say in general, let alone <laughs> us on a podcast. It is weird. And whenever anybody says it, I'm just like, man, I, I don't even remember what we've said, but I feel like they're my therapist at this point. I will say though, one of the things that I am happy about with that is, I don't know when it was, but probably a couple of years ago there, I was listening to a podcast or the news or I don't know, some sort of media. And 
I was amazed at someone talking about the Catholic faith that just had absolutely no idea what they were talking about. Mm. And I was just frustrated. Yeah. And I just thought, man, we need more people out there who know at least something about what the Catholic church believes and why, and not just kind of these yahoos out there. You know who, uh, spouting stuff. Also to that point, I've been watching a lot of, uh, Jordan Peterson. Mm -hmm. Have you? And I'm like, so curious every time I watch it, I want to watch some of this stuff with you. Cause he, he's kind of, you know, he's bringing, he has his own little conversion going on right now. And he, he's done a lot of, well, not a lot of work, but several podcasts with Bishop Barron, but he is like, um, really diving into scripture. Yeah. And, um, he's, you know, he's throwing out a lot of facts and, and a lot of, you know, based on scripture that I, I honestly just don't know if it's true. Sure. Like it's his interpretation, his whole Exodus and, and all that. And then he referenced, um, gosh, this one caught me off guard. Um, the book of Thomas. The Gospel of Thomas? Yeah, the Gospel yeah. of Thomas that came out like 19, discovered in 1956 or something. Yeah. Didn't know what that was. Then he went off on something and I was like, I wish FB is here to like, help me understand. <laughs> did, did we just add a new book that I don't know about? Yeah. So that's, that's part of, um, so the, in the early centuries of Christianity, um, there are the Gnostic Gospels. Yep. And, um. So, so there's a gospel of Thomas, there's a gospel of Mary Magdalene, there's, there's other ones out there. Uh, but they're not actually written by those people. They were written under that name as a way to kind of lend credibility to that. Um, but the church rejected those early in history because they were so contrary to what the church had received. Now, the church didn't just say, let's compare this to other scripture passages. That was also part of it. But the church, right, receives the the fullness of who God is, not as a book, but as a, a life. And so that it was handed on both in scripture, but also in the tradition of the church's life. And later on, Gnosticism, do you know what Gnosticism is? No. So Gnosticism is, some people would argue that Gnosticism is the Christian heresy par excellence. And so it's, it's Time out. what did you just say? <laughs> That's kind of a half fake laugh. Half real. <laughs> what, what was that? Uh, I think it's French. Okay. Parks Sounded Lens. French. But like, um, like the pinnacle heresy, the, um, form of all heresies. Like wow. The heresy of heresies par excellence. Um, so Gnosticism comes from the Greek word gnosis and Christianity has battled this. And the reason it's such a powerful heresy is because there's, um, there's a lot of truth to it. Uh, Gnosticism is a heresy that teaches that you're saved by knowledge. So the Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. And Gnosticism, there were different, it's splintered a lot, much like Protestant churches have, which is the fate of heresies. But central to kind of Gnosticism were a couple different ideas. One is that you're saved by knowledge. One or another one is that uh, physical reality is very suspect and even evil. And so because physical matter doesn't have a lot of importance in Gnosticism, there's a divorce between what I, my faith is and my soul and what I do in my body. And so it doesn't, Gnosticism tends to dismiss what we do with our bodies. 
Interesting. Okay. So there's so there's these later gospels, and not, Thomas is a Gnostic gospel, and I mean, I want to say it is. I could be wrong on that because I'm not. I'm actually I'm kind of rusty on these apocryphal gospels. Good old Thomas. Yeah, and so so there's stuff in there. There's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of overlap with Matthew and Mark and Luke. If I, if we were going to talk about this, I would have pulled out my book on this that I read a couple years ago. Caught you off guard. You caught me off guard. I, I watched it this morning, so I had to ask about it. But anyway, so th- these are these are later texts, and so there's people today who are super into them, and you'll read about how oh the church hid this from everybody because they didn't want them to know who the real Jesus was, and this was it's kind of like Dan Brown type stuff, and it's it's just nonsense. Got it. There's there's historical value in reading those texts, but they are not the authentic gospel. Interesting. And and. Any serious scripture scholar in the world will tell you that. There, maybe that's a little bit strong. There are some, there are some out there who might challenge that a little bit. Guys like Bart Ehrman. Um, so I don't want to caricature it, but by and large, though, the early church clearly there was who Jesus was, and this was a later deviation from that. And so these these um, apocryphal gospels, these later gospels that did not make it into the New Testament. These are later. So the gospels that we have in the New Testament, uh, the gospel of Mark is the earliest and is probably written, you know, accounts vary, but let me look at what I have written down. I want to say around, um, probably in the sixties is when Mark's gospel is written. Peter is, I don't have a date for it, but, um, Mark is Peter's disciple traditionally and probably Mark wrote his gospel because Peter's about to be martyred. And Mark's like, we need to get your teaching yeah. and, and your, your memoir, your, your recollection of who Jesus was and what happened. We need to get that out there. We need to get it in written form. So Mark's is the earliest gospel. Uh, John's is the last of the four. John's is, it's really hard to date John's, but it's late. So an early kind of um, guess at when John's gospel is written, it would be in the 90s. I would tend more towards that. Those are in the 90s AD. Um, a lot of scholars think that John the Apostle himself didn't actually write the Gospel of John, but that a community that was influenced by him writes under his name. And so some scholars would put it as late as like 130 AD. Wow. These texts are later than that. Some of them are in the second century still, but some of them are in the third century. Um, they're later texts. And they're clearly drawing on the canonical gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but there's profound distortions and there's an attempt to move towards Gnostic ideas, such as that the resurrection is really just Jesus' soul. It's not his body. Oh, wow. Um, things like that. Uh, okay. I have a real rookie question here. I don't even know how we got Oops. on that, but yeah. Jordan Peterson. Um, Gospel Thomas, you, there's some good stuff out there. There's good, there's good books you can read on this. Don't read the popular stuff. Uh, it's just not, not right. You want to read, um, I can't think of the book. There's a book called Fabricating Jesus. I'm going to look it up on Amazon while you ask your question. Uh, wait, right there. I mean, that's to what you just said. Don't read the popular ones. That is kind of my question with Jordan Peterson. Yep. Is how accurate is he? Like when he does the interviews with Bishop Barron, is Bishop... <laughs> you know, 
because I don't actually know, but is he like, ooh, can't correct him here, but he's way off? Or, you know, how does that lay out? So someday we're just going to have to sit down and watch it and have you point it out. Yeah, I, I've i only watched a little bit of Jordan Peterson on his biblical stuff. I yeah. haven't listened to him in quite some time. I, there were, I had a period of time where I was listening to some of his talks on YouTube or whatever. I have a lot of respect for Jordan Peterson. I, his biblical criticism, I think he has some interesting insights, but by and large, uh, Jordan Peterson, he is approaching scripture from what I've seen from a psychological kind of viewpoint. And so he's, he's taking psychological paradigms interesting. Um, from men like Carl Jung. Yep. Isn't that his first name, Carl? Uh, yep. And he says him all the time. And so he's taking people like Jung, which I know nothing about Jung whatsoever, but he's, but he's applying psychological kind of paradigms. And he's saying, look how this is found in Genesis. And that's an interesting question, but it's not what the Bible is trying to do. And the, the simple way I would say this to people is if, if you've ever told a story and someone keeps interrupting you and asking you questions that have nothing to do with anything, it's, it's really off-putting. Yeah. And what a lot of modern people do is they, they ask questions that the Bible is not concerned with. And so I, my experience, Jordan Peterson, is there's a little bit of that going on, is he doesn't want the Bible to speak just on its own terms. He wants to take a psychological lens to the Bible and ask it questions that it's not concerned with. Hey, That's been my experience. Okay. He was talking about, we're so off topic. He was talking about something today I was cracking up about, like he started to dive into metaphysics. And Jordan Peterson, for me, he, it's really hard to multitask. And listen, like there's some speakers I can like, you know, whatever I'm doing and, and pick it up. But sometimes he goes so deep into different directions and yeah. he started to go into this metaphysic talk. And I was like, where's FB? That's, yeah. the, that's the cream of the crop. So I, I found this book before we jumped to our main topic today. Yeah. So this is a book I read a couple of years ago. It's excellent. It's by a great scholar. He's a Protestant scholar. So a guy named Craig Evans, Craig A. Evans. and so he has a book called Fabricating Jesus. If you want to know about these different gospels, so if you, you get people like Dan Brown talking about the gospel of Mary Magdalene and these things, which there's some truth to what they're saying, but they're, they distort it. If you want a real scholar who really knows history, who knows the history of how the Bible was compiled and of early Christianity, Craig Evans does a phenomenal job. Uh, in that book, Fabricating Jesus, of compiling the the chronology and the history and what we know about these other writings, why they're not in the New Testament, um, and just kind of getting the lay of the land on that. If that's something you're interested in, that book is an easy read and it's phenomenal. So it's called Fabricating Jesus, Craig A. Evans. Interesting. Uh, okay, rookie question real quick. But I have to admit, and I hope somebody out there will be relieved that I asked this, but I, I it's kind of like, as soon as I came into church, I kind of just <laughs> flowed with it, but I have to admit it. Exp will you explain heresy? Yeah. I so, always hear it and I'm like, yeah, totally. And I have no idea what that yeah, means. So, so heresy just means uh, false teaching. Okay. That's all. And so, so when we use yeah. the word orthodoxy, um, so orthodoxy, it does it, the, the actual etymology of the word means right praise. 
but it's usually orthodoxy is contrasted as the opposite of heresy. Oh. So, so we, the way most people use the word orthodoxy is to mean the, the, the correct teaching of the, of the church. Got it. So, so oftentimes you'll hear people say, and this is why I think it's important, you know, politically Patrick and I, um, maybe one more shout out to a friend of mine, Hannah Baird. Yeah. I just got a wonderful letter from her. Uh, she's very much like a daughter to me. Um, she gets mad sometimes when I say that, but, <laughs> but anyway, love Hannah, her husband, uh, Nate, I went and visited them a while, a couple months ago. Um, but her and I had a great conversation about politics and she lives in Baltimore. We went to DC together and talked a little bit. And, uh, it just made me think of this is that, you know, we politically, maybe I shouldn't speak for you. I'll speak for me. I, I don't understand how any Christian could be, uh, could vote for the democratic party right now. Because I think not, and even if you take abortion out of it, if you take abortion out of the picture, I think that the left in this country has adopted a worldview, the lens through which they look at everything, the pair of glasses they have on assumes the world is meaningless and that we can reinvent reality. However we see fit. I'm a hundred percent think that's what the democratic party thinks. Uh, Republicans though. And I want to say this, I'm not a Republican. I'm, I'm not like, I think that Catholics need to, and we talked about this last week, so maybe this is overkill. We just need to be careful about that. Yeah. And the church, I'm not, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Catholic. And I think right now I can understand where people don't want to vote for Republicans. I don't think a good Catholic, and obviously there's people who disagree with me, but they're wrong. (laughs) So (laughs) I just don't see how as a Catholic, uh, when I think that the democratic party has adopted a nihilistic worldview and today I'm just trying to use big words. So I sound cool. I love it. Those are my favorite. Um, no, I do agree. I'll let if anyone challenges, I'll, I'll let you step in on it, but I'm sure you, you and I, you and I are definitely from what we've discussed, very similar yeah. on that topic. Um, last shout out. We got a really positive to email, Jennifer oh. Coster out of Iowa. Hey, coming in Iowa. I love that. If you build it, they will come. That's right. right. Is this heaven? What is that? I have a feeling you're like, are you reciting a song right now? No, that's from a movie. What? Tell Kevin Costner is like most famous. The baseball. uh, Yeah. uh, I wanted to say angels in the outfield. Uh, Feel the dreams. Feel the dreams. Right. Remember he had the, his dad comes or maybe it's shoeless Joe Jackson. Shoeless Joe Jackson looks at Kevin Costner and he says, Hey, is, um, or it's one of the kids, whoever it is. One of the, one of the baseball players that's been dead for like a hundred years. Looks at Kevin Costner and he says, is this heaven? He goes, actually it's Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> I need to watch it. That has been so long. Since that's honestly, that. that's a great movie. So. It is. Okay. Now here we are. Um, you are in the thick of, well, one you're about to enter into well, we, you had one last weekend, but enter into wedding season in the next couple months and you are approaching wedding your season. wedding retreat, wedding retreat, marriage retreat weekend. Which I'm not getting married just to, you know, deflate that question. <laughs> this is, I'm leading a retreat for couples who are engaged. That's right. And it, 
I think it's a really interesting topic that it's normally just like, okay, here we go. Like you can go with the flow of it. But I also, I think of my own friends that when I said, you know, we're doing marriage prep, um, right after I had become Catholic and they're not saying I was doing marriage prep, doing NFP, taking the focus exam, meeting with you, and then doing the retreat and kind of diving in into all that and the focus on like eight months before you're married. It's a real curveball that I think is totally, it's really beautiful once you understand it. Yeah. But if you don't understand the church's teachings, it can kind of get lumped into the whole, it's another law for the church. Yeah. And even if you are Catholic, I, you know, you and I were somewhat talking about this upstairs. I do think that even among the quote unquote Catholic crew that doesn't, wasn't well uh, formed, it's kind of a checkbox of like, well, they just need to be married in the church, but don't really understand the beauty behind the whole process. Yeah. And also like, even for a lot of people, the idea that you need to be married in the church. Yeah. Just seems like, why are you such a curmudgeon? That's right. That's right. Especially when, you know, I I was watching, there was a a kid I played football with at CU, just got married. He played for the Packers. Offensive tackle. He's been on, I think he had like the highest um, contract, the biggest contract ever at one point for an old lineman. Wow, that's cool. And yeah. Um, That's uh, Nate? No, David Bakhtiari. Oh. Played with me at CU for three or four years. Um, David Bakhtiari, that's a name for you. I know. I know. He's, yeah. So he got married, but he had Aaron Rodgers officiate the wedding. And it was all over the news. And it was like outdoors, all this kind of stuff. I mean, it sounds fun. It does, right? I I mean, yeah, it sounds cool. I want to have like, you know, one of my buddies... Say my, you know, and you would like, you're like, oh, this, this will be special and it will mean a lot, like that kind of thing. So then when all of a sudden it's like, all right, yeah, we want to get married on a beach. And then you have to deliver like the news of, yeah, that, that doesn't really work. Yep. Um, yeah. So, I'm like, no more Mr. Nice Guy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so di- like, yeah, I wanted to kind of just dive into it. A no, little I bit. wanted to ask you. Ooh. I yeah. like these. I wanted to ask Patrick. Yeah, what? So you and Steph, how how long is it? Uh, two, a little over two years. Crazy. Coaching. I what's know. Your, what's your it's anniversary nuts. day? It is June twentieth. So you're, that means you're coming Gosh, up on three. I'm so happy. Really? I, I nailed that. I'm yeah, so happy. Nice. Oh, Steph, I knew Steph, that. Right. Steph would have been. Yeah, she would not have been happy. Woo! Yeah. No. So I want to know from you because people like you know what I think about everything, but now it's I mean two and a half years really coming up on three. Yeah. You know, that's not, you're not at 50 years. You're not getting to your, you know, you're not, you're not Sage there. level. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, but three years is not, you know, three months. Right. And so with all these, uh, marriage kind of, or these, uh, engaged couples we deal with, it was funny. Mary Rogers was talking with another parish outside of our diocese recently. And the person who worked at this other parish was saying, we're so busy. We have like 30 couples and Catholic parishes. We always have to one up each other. Totally, and so totally. Mary goes, yeah, well we have like 50. Couples. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but we were, Patrick and I were kind of talking and three years, man, what? And I got to be honest, marriage prep 
is one of my favorite ministries and honestly, one of the most unbelievably challenging ministries, depending on who's sitting in the chairs across from you. And uh, so we just, I just kind of thought, you know, you've been in three years, you and Steph, like what's different? What are these couples, you know, I've got 35 couples coming on this retreat in two weeks. What, what do they need to hear? Yeah, it's, that's a great question. Um, I think I was, I can't remember if I was joking with you there or not, but I was, Steph and I were um, having a conversation that was not necessarily a conversation, it was aggravation is what it was. Mm. And it was one of those where we started nitpicking each other. Like she will, she's the classic, like, leave every dish in the sink for numerous days and then goes into she's like I'm going to clean and next thing I know she's like underneath the cabinets like somehow underneath like dusting and right. deep the deep clean deep clean and I'm like hey if you just put the dish away when you use it yeah you don't have to go the 8 hour deep clean um we start stuff Deep clean Divini. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Got her. Oh, I'm so using that. Um, but then I started to think, I was like, you know, it is tempting to think like when you're not living together before you're married. So there were several stages for us of like, boom, we get married, do our quick little honeymoon, and then we're living together. And all of a sudden it's like there are nah, I won't it won't bother me where she puts the toothpaste. But then it quickly bugs you. Like yep. you're, you're not used to it. So I could see how it's like, yeah, it would have been nice to know three months ago, you know, like that kind of thing. But it, I'm joking. Cause I understand the bigger piece of that, but, um, it was definitely adjustment kind of getting, being so like intimately close with somebody and then living like it wasn't necessarily roommate status. I've had plenty of roommates, but now we're sharing the bed, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then we started having just you know, we wanted to have a kid right away. That actually out the gates was challenging. You just kind of assume it's, hey, no big deal. Here we go. And yep. so that threw a lot of stress into the scenario. And we had Gianna and now being parents, um, the biggest thing is for us so far with <laughs> a lot having changed in the last two years is being able to communicate more in the moment and we've done a lot of, um, we've done actually marriage counseling well before. Like it, it's always so funny though. You walk in, you're like, honestly, we're, we're pretty good. Like, I don't know what we're going to talk about for 50 minutes. And then about eh, three minutes in, we're just jabbing each other. <laughs> right. And so it's, it's actually really helpful for us to be proactive about it. And then learning steps um, to having the communication and actually diving in, even when you don't want to, you don't think there's an issue. So that's been huge to try to be proactive and not reactive. And we are definitely nowhere close to mastering that, mm -hmm. but it does allow in the moments of like, not, and I hate going to sleep mad, you know? So I'm someone that mm -hmm. like, we're going to be up till three to figure this one out. Um, so really trying to just like communicate at the ultimate level and, and start to kind of dive into things before they fester into something gigantic. Um, because going through marriage prep, it was all like, dude, we got this. Like, that's great. 
but I also grew up in a divorced family and super dysfunctional and um, stepdad was abusive and, and all this kind of stuff that I never really saw a good example of what marriage yeah. is supposed to look like other than from friends growing up. But so, yeah, it's been quite the adjustment. And I think when you're going through marriage prep, it's all like, yeah, but that doesn't apply to me. Yep. And so you really have to make it real when like, like real examples that will come up, but you know, they may or may not, but I think they do more often than not. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I keep thinking the, uh, <clears throat> a lot of thoughts on this. It's really hard to do marriage prep. I, I kind of pride myself on, I think when I had more time, if I could spend more time with couples that I could win them over because yeah. you can give the best talk on earth to somebody and you can have perfect rationality and they're sitting across from you with their arms folded across their chest and they just don't give a rip what you say about anything. That's right. Yeah. And, and so you got to kind of, you got to work to open people's hearts up before they'll listen yeah. and be open to even have any discussion. And that's tough. And, and honestly, one of the great challenges in my life, you know, this is I'm just so busy yeah, that I just, I don't have the leisure in my life to spend the amount of time with couples that I would like to. Uh, well, I think that's, what's wild from being around so much of, you know, it's almost like you need a priest solely dedicated to marriages and marriage prep. Yeah. You are spread across the board between funerals, marriage preps, baptisms, this, that RCIA, two parishes, two parishes, all the above yeah, that school. you have such a, broad um or wide demand of yeah. different things it is hard to meet with somebody 12 times to win them over and you know get them to understand why marriage prep let alone yep. why everything else yep and so i think one of the things i've been thinking about a lot is um i think one of the things that happens is and you have to go through this in a certain way but you can prepare a little bit but, but the modern world has formed all of us that what we think we think marriage is about is we think it's about romance. And so you go into, you're engaged and you're dating and you think, Hey, that's not us. Cause we just got, we've got great chemistry. We've got, we've got great chemistry and yep. I don't really know. It's been a long time since I dated anybody. So I don't know what's going on in people's heads, but you just kind of feel like, you know, it's not like people are bad or anything, but, but they have this, it seems like they think we, I think our culture has trained people to think that marriage is about romance and eros and that kind of love. And one of the things I want to tell people is marriage is about children. I was, <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, man, if, as you're saying, I was like, well, it is so interesting. Cause if you're really trying to abstain leading up to marriage. Yeah. And so you have that connection, this desire, blah, blah, blah. And then, as <laughs> right as you said children i was like man gianna really threw a curveball into this it's like yeah 7 p.m i'm going to sleep see you later <laughs> like, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and i just think that's true and it's one of those things couples don't think about that but if you and you know what's funny when you at the at the wedding and the wedding right the prayers at a wedding mass they're all about kids Wait, what? Yeah. So like, I wish I brought my Roman Missal down here, but at a wedding mass, like the prayers, the priest prays, like the opening prayer, the prayer over the gifts, the um, preface, the, uh, and then the, the closing prayer after prayer after communion, all those prayers, they're all about children. 
Wow. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And in fact, sometimes it's super awkward because when you have a couple that's older, maybe, and is oh, past the yeah. age where it's normal, at least to be able to get pregnant. The, 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 and there's different options. There's probably, there's options. I usually use the first option. So there's probably other options. I should look into that, that, <laughs> <laughs> that have other kind of emphases. But, but I do think this is, it just bears worth, it's a point worth repeating is that you, people go into it and they just think this is about like, man, we, I am a great kisser. Right. And I'm really good at kissing. Yep. And we're going to kiss a lot. Yep. <laughs> I should have got that award senior year in the yearbook. Yeah, exactly. And, and then they find out you got kids and you find out all of a sudden, like, you're not a phenomenal oh, wait. kisser. Yeah. Oh, wait. And, yeah. Right. <laughs> and marriage isn't really about that. I mean, yeah, that's a part of it, but, but marriage is about, we're going to build a family together and it's, and really your life is going to end up being about your children. Yeah. And that's, and honestly, it's the best thing that could ever happen to you. It's going to be awful. It's going to be really hard in a lot of different times of your life. Uh, but it's going to bring you a joy and a meaning in life that you never could have had otherwise. Um, and I think, I think that's one of the biggest challenges with couples and how to, and moving them, you know, right. Moving them to that place of, cause when we, you know, couples coming from marriage prep and, I'm like, and they're like, let's talk about communication styles. No, that's really good. That's important. Communication is really important. And they're like, you know, they love talking about, uh, best practices around finances, which again is, that's a good thing. That's important. Like a lot of marriages have a lot of fights about money. Yeah. And so it's important to talk about that stuff, but they're just not thinking about, yeah, I'm going to be changing a lot of diapers pretty soon here and I'm going to get a lot less sleep and I'm not going to be worried about like my perfect physique as much as I am about, I changed the last eight diapers. It's your turn. Yep. <laughs> you know, what was interesting when we were at the wedding and I am so bummed, we were sitting at the table with shout out Evan and Serena, but yeah, they were great. It was great getting time with those two. It was, um, it got brought up at the table of trying to do like the concept of marriage prep, but then also for when your kids are a little older and they're more self-sufficient, how to start focusing back on the relationship. Like you spend the first so many years before a kid can fully walk yeah. and be potty trained and eat on their own. That then after that, it's kind of like, man, you've been in survival mode for five, eight years, whatever it is. And now it's like, can we focus back on the relationship? Like, how do you go about doing that? It was very, it was, and I haven't gone through it, but I could see the beginning stages of it, but it is an interesting thing. But I think it, it still starts with the whole marriage prep process. And I think a lot of people come in and they're shocked to find out. It's like, you need to sign up. What does the church say? Eight months before your yeah, wedding so that's, date. That's a rule in Denver. Ideal. It oh. could be, it can change from the, the bishop of each diocese can decide how long that is. Oh, wow. So in Denver, it's not, the number's not arbitrary, but it's also not some eternal law anchored in nature. <laughs> what the, basically what the church of Denver wants to say to couples is, Hey, what's your rush? We have oh, a 50, we have, we have a 50% divorce rate. And so if a couple comes to me and they say, crap, we didn't realize it was eight months. We, we were really, really planning on six. Yeah. 
we'll work with them. We'll say, well, it's a little tighter. You, you're going to have to really be on top of the ball and make sure that you're getting everything in and you're working with us. But we can do that. But if a couple comes to me and it's, they've got three months, we're, we just can't do it. It's like, right. guys, like, this is actually serious. And um, marriage prep, you know, it's not going to be, um, I don't know, how do I say it? Marriage prep is not going to totally transform you as a person, probably. But it's not arbitrary either. Like, there's... There, we again, we have a 50% divorce rate. And that's probably wrong. John Zimmer was saying this last night at RCIA that that quote's actually wrong, but it's he, he said for every two marriages, there's one divorce. So, w- whatever that means. So, wouldn't that be like a 33 ish? I don't know. Anyway, I'm a priest, but the, the divorce rate's high, and um. And so we, we, the, the, the eight month thing is not meant to be arbitrary or meant to make your life hard. It's just meant to say, Hey, there's some things we, that are best practices in marriage. And we want you to think about things that are, um, that matter. And I, I actually appreciate the eight months. I, so I didn't even think about it from that standpoint, but also like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the things you need to get done, you do your focus exam, you meet with the priest, you do NFP. And some other things. Um, you need there. So the obviously there's three pillars: there's the human, the spiritual, and the conjugal. So I think you covered them all. Okay. The human, we do the focus test, and we also have them watch some stuff on Formed, That's which right. is the Augustine Institute's platform. But the human piece is like, if you want to be a good spouse, and we if we have time on to this, we could get this to to this today. But being a good f- spouse is about being a good friend. And the way that I talk to couples about this is about virtue because Aristotle says that the key to friendship is virtue. And if you're not too only, you can only be a good friend to the degree that you are virtuous. And we can talk about that if you want, but that's the human aspect. Mm. And so the, the focus exam is getting couples to talk about things that are very human, but underneath that, it's, it's touching on virtues. At least that's how I direct it. And so, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So like, um, you, a virtue, right? A virtue is just a good habit. Yeah. And what Aristotle says to try to do this briefly, he says there's three types of friendships you can have. Do you remember these? Friendships? No. Uh, so, so Aristotle outlines, uh, the three types of friendships are friendships of pleasure Friendships of utility and friendships of that he just calls true friendship. And he says that all three are good. So friendships of pleasure though, what they're based on is pleasure. And this doesn't have to be a a sexual pleasure. It can be any type of pleasure. So if you enjoy um, cycling, which I do, yeah, you can have, you can have friends that you're friends because you cycle together. That's a real friendship. It's a good thing. But friendships of pleasure, when you stop cycling, like you have, essentially, um, those friendships end because the, the thing that they were based on is no longer there. Right. And so they, and not, and they're not bad just because they end or not, they're not even not, they're not, they are good, but what they're lacking is a depth. Yep. Right. It's more of a purpose, would you say? 
Well, I, I would just say the purpose is a shallow purpose. Right. Okay. It's, a, it's something we enjoy, which there's nothing you're supposed to enjoy things. You're not right. supposed to be one of these Christians who's like, I'm not supposed to enjoy anything. <laughs> I'm so holy. Yeah. Uh, you're supposed to enjoy things. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. We all have friends like that. I have friends like that. The second one is friendships of utility. And you think of like Carline at Lord's. So it's usefulness. So, hey, we're, we live in Highland Ranch. You live in Highland Ranch. Lord's is in Denver. How about if we carpool That's instead of funny. both of us driving yep. two hours a day and you, you form a friendship based on usefulness. But then when your kids grow up, they go to different high schools. They get out of Lord's, they go to different high schools. Those friendships tend to end because they were based on something useful. And then there's true friendships. And true friendships are where you value the person, not you have true friendships. Aristotle says you have both of those things. So you have pleasure in the friendship. Mm. You have usefulness in the friendship, but it goes deeper than that. And what Aristotle says is true friendships. What the person, what the friendship is based on is the goodness of the other person themselves. And so from that, Aristotle concludes the only people who can have true friendships are, are virtuous people. And the reason for that is he says, good men and women are the only people who really take delight just in other good people. Bad men may be friends with each other because of material gain or pleasureful gain or some sort of usefulness. But bad people don't just delight in the good of another person. Oh, that's deep. Okay. And this, this makes so much sense. So this is something I try to explain to couples in marriage prep. And I might be the worst priest for marriage prep ever. Who knows? But, but this logic makes sense. What makes for a good marriage is not just uh, good communication skills and good finances. We could all think of people who are like are fabulously wealthy and they communicate very well and they're both jerks. When those are good skills, but what makes for a good marriage is two good people. And what makes you good. That was my question right here. Is dun, dun. Virtue. Like, give me an, like what? what? So virtue, the Greek word for virtue is a rete and it just means excellence. So this is what I go through with my couples in marriage prep in one of my meetings with them as we walk through this concept and this Aristotle says, by the way, that this is the key to friendship but actually that is just the key to happiness in human life. And, and it makes sense if you think about it. So there's four cardinal virtues. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what cardinal means? Yeah. It's the, the one above the bishop. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so cardinal is a, a Latin bird. word that means, <clears throat> excuse me. Cardinal is a Latin word that means hinge. I've never got that. And so, what, what the church is saying when you have the cardinal virtues is that other human virtues, not, not theological virtues that come from God, but human virtues that anybody can grow in, anybody can choose. Human virtues, all of them hinge on one of these four. And so the four are uh, prudence, which is the crowning of all human virtues. It's the hardest. So prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. So 
really quick walkthrough is what I do. I feel like I'm in mirrorship with you all listening right now. That's right. But if you think about it, think about your spouse. If you're married out there, if you want to be a good spouse or if you want to, if you're, or if you look at your spouse and you wish your spouse could grow, I guarantee you there's one of these four areas that you could look at and the, the deepest frustrations you might have in your marriage. Almost, I can almost guarantee they're around one of these four things. So prudence is like vision. Prudence is practical wisdom. And so prudence is knowing how to act in the right way at the right time, uh, the right circumstances, all these in whatever circumstance. So imagine what I always say is like, imagine if I was a baseball player, I've got great skills, hand speed, hand-eye coordination. I can run fast. I've got a good arm, et cetera, et cetera. But then one day I, something happens, I go blind. Well, I might, I might still have all those skills and, uh, and good. Th- I might still have great hand speed, but I can't see. So I don't know when to swing the bat. That's a game changer. It's a game changer, right? So you, you yeah. still have, you're still powerful. Right. You just don't know when to use your power. Hmm. So the person who lacks prudence doesn't know when to behave in which way. Interesting. Okay. So for instance, I think I'm critical of priests, but you could think of a priest who's maybe in the confessional and they're like, okay, I need, I need honesty and courage right now to tell this person in the confessional that they need to really repent and I need to kick their butt a little bit. But the person without prudence would misread that situation. And so maybe that person actually what they needed was they actually needed to know that they're loved and that God's mercy is real. And instead they gave them, you know, kind of Lashing. an ass kicking. Wow. So yeah, that's a lack okay. of prudence. Okay. Prudence is seen correctly and applying the other virtues. So that's why, so Aristotle calls prudence the charioteer of the virtues. So if you imagine a bunch of horses in front of a chariot, prudence is the one holding the reins. Okay. So prudence says, okay, we don't need as much uh, kind of truth right now or honesty because this person's not ready to hear it. So let's pull that honesty back just a touch. Yep. Um, let's, let's hit the gas on compassion. You know, that's, that's kind of what prudence does. Okay. The other ones are much easier to understand. Justice means I treat people as they deserve to be treated. Yep. Uh, fortitude is courage, but I like St. Thomas's definition of fortitude is the willingness to suffer for what is good. Wow. Okay. The willingness to suffer for what is good. And then, um, temperance temperance is where I control my good desires instead of my good desires controlling me. So any desire that's good, my desire for pleasure, my desire for sleep, for food, for, um, a good book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, those are all good things, but what, what the temperate person does is they can control their good desires. Right. So this is what makes you good. And yeah. so, so your, so your intentions don't make you good. You can have good intentions, but if you don't have the virtue, you can't carry it out, right? You can have good intentions to be a faithful spouse and be cheating on your spouse. Right. Okay. Because you don't have okay. the virtue of chastity or fidelity. Yep. Right. Um, so, so those are, those are big things for friendship. Let me pause. I'm talking too much. Cause I have one more thought that I want to jump to, but 
No, I, I mean, I think it's wild because it's, again, the bigger thing for me, like when I was saying when it came to marriage prep and, and on the, ver- you know, leading into marriage itself, like you're so excited and then you find out you have all these things to do. And when you take this extremely long <laughs> test, it could seem very overwhelming and you're just like, what, what are we doing? But when you yeah. actually explain it this way and these questions, like, you know, they do bring up subjects that most people falling in love don't necessarily talk about. Um, but understanding the underlying theme of it all is, I mean, that's a game changer for how that plays out. Yeah. I think in like, there's a great sermon that I should have brought this book down, but there's a, there's a theologian at Duke and he's retired now, but it's a guy named Stanley Hauerwas. And he has a collection of sermons that I really like. And he has a, a sermon on marriage in that book. And he has this great line where he says, you know, in the modern world, we stopped doing arranged marriages. And so now marriages are based on free choice and preferences. So what could possibly go wrong? Like, like we, we, we entered into this and we both chose it and we don't have to. And so we, we kind of, we're both choosing something we prefer. And he has this great, he builds this out better. But Stanley Hauerwas says, you know, in a modern notion of marriage where it's based purely on what I desire and what I want, and it lines up with what you desire and you want, what could possibly go wrong? And then he says, you know, hard period, hard stop. And he says, turns out everything can. (laughs) Totally. And what he says, and it's so powerful, is he says, uh, the nature of love is, is opposed to that conception of the universe. And this is what I'm, when I'm sitting in marriage prep, and maybe some of you are in marriage prep with me and you're listening to this, when you're in that chair in front of me, depending on who you are, I'm just sitting there thinking, how do I move these people from thinking we're going to be awesome because we both like surfing. Yep. Yep. And we make out like amazingly well, you know, and we're so cool. And we like the same music. How do I move them from that to marriage and friendship? Marriage is a type of friendship. How do I move you to a place of you're not going to be a good spouse because you share the same preferences because marriage can't be based on, on this is what, this is what Howard Watts says. It's a great line. He says, he says a marriage conceived on a shared selfishness is doomed to failure. <laughs> I love that line. A marriage conceived on a shared selfishness is doomed to fail. And that's, oh, that's not quite exactly what it is, but it's close. <sighs> but that's, I think that's what a lot of couples, that's what, that's how they, they enter into, into engagement and they're like, you're attractive. I'm attractive. Yeah. Let's go be attractive. So how together. do you, how do you practice it? Like, I feel like anytime I've been at a wedding and, you know, grandpa gets up there they've been married for 75 years and it's always the story of like don't go to bed angry like it is that kind of now looking at it like surfacey level like communication piece but how do you actually practice those virtues on yourself to then bring it into the relationship so marriage prep honestly what i'm trying to do in marriage prep is not form people so much because you can't in eight months right right you want to know what real marriage prep is parents you're doing marriage prep (laughs) very seriously 
you are doing marriage prep. What I'm doing is I'm trying to win people over to open their hearts to the wisdom of Jesus and the wisdom of the church, because I can't change your habits and your worldview and your attitudes in three meetings, which I have like three meetings with couples over the course of eight months. They have, they have other meetings with mentor couples and the retreat and all that kind of stuff, but I can't do it. But what I can do is show you, I hope to show you that the church has tremendous wisdom on this. But do you remember what I preached about at your wedding? Oh, damn it. I love putting you on the spot. You do. I remember you made fun of Father Mitchell. Um, I'll give you a hint. Go ahead. I was crying. Paige and Julia were mad at me for one for my intro. I think Steph was too. Really? Yeah. I don't remember it. Go ahead. No. So this is taken from Pope Benedict. But Pope Benedict talks about, and he's actually talking about baptism when he talks about this. But I stole this from him for your wedding. Uh, so Pope Benedict says that a symbol that's very meaningful for the day of your wedding is when a bride loses her name. That's right. Yep. That's right. Yep. And I talked about it, like Steph today is going to lose something. Yep. And she's, she's going to lose the name Giltner. And her whole side of the family looked like I just sucker punched them. <laughs> you know? It's not a loss if it's an upgrade. <laughs> I hope none of them you're are gonna listening. Get, you're gonna, yeah, there it is. Yeah, you're going to be in trouble for that one. But, what, but, I, here's, but here's, I think, the movement that has to happen, not just in marriage prep, but this is what has to happen in marriage, is I need to move from a, what the world tells me is that you want to be happy, have awesome things. Yep. Have the best experiences, have the nicest clothes, have, and like in your marriage, marry someone smoking hot, have awesome things that you do together. Yep. Right. Uh, go kayaking off that waterfall, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. And what, and what the logic, and that's the logic of the world. Yeah. The logic of Christ is the one who loses his life will find it. Right. The one who loses his life. And so these couples come to my office. This is what I'm always thinking is we got to get them to the the thing that's going to do that for them is marriage. Marriage prep isn't going to do that for them. Yeah. When you had Gianna, you lost your life. Yep. Right. Yep. And I mean, in the most practical way I could probably imagine. That's right. And that's why marriage saves people's souls because it moves you from a love of not that people are evil or wicked or something, but a sort of a selfish love. Yep. I was just going to say that. Yeah. And it moves you to a love that you say, I will lose my life for this. Yep. And, and this is why like, and so Pope Benedict goes on and he says, the, the bride losing her last name is symbolic of the life she must leave behind. And he says, this is a sign for both spouses that the cost of the love that is opening before them and the life that's opening before them is that they have to lose what they thought was theirs. Yeah. So deep and so hard. 
Isn't that beautiful though? It is. And it's so true. And I, you know, I oftentimes think of, I run in every once in a while into couples who don't want to have kids. Yep. Um, some can't, and that's a different story, but right. some who don't want to. And in the short run, that sounds pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. In the short run, it's like, let's, let's make out a ton. I'm trying, I, parents, I, I'm sure you're picking up on this. I'm trying to keep this G rated. That's right. But you're like, let's, let's make out all the time. Yep. And let's, let's like have three houses. Let's have, let's make sure we maintain our perfect physiques and we'll be the envy of everyone. And honestly, I'm like, that sounds pretty freaking awesome. Yeah. I kind of want that, you know, I think that'll be great for a while, but the truth of the gospel is that the one who seeks his own life will lose it. And so I think of these couples and I think of when they hit my age at age 41, they hit age 50 and they've, they've pursued a life of selfishness. It might be a shared selfishness, but it's still a selfishness as opposed to the couples who are like, man, we've, we have four kids and it has been brutal and we don't look the way we did when we were the day we were married and their life is full of joy and hardship, Yeah, but it's filled with love. And that's, that's the kind of thing that the church offers us. And it is a billion times better than what the world could ever offer. <laughs> so much to reflect on. Um, it's super interesting, especially when you said marriage prep starts with the parents. It totally does. And it's kind of funny too, where it's like, you know, especially working here at Lords, where we, you know, we joke, there's so many available gorgeous, amazing women. Yep. And, you know, any of Steph's friends are like, hook me up with one of your friends. I'm like, honestly, there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of guys hanging around. Like it's someone single guy, like show up to our gathering at the grottos and there you go. But it's, um, it's kind of that cliche thing though. And you hear it a lot of times too, of like parents being like the exact same thing, introduce my daughter to somebody so-and-so. And it's the thought that just because it's like they need to meet a Catholic, right? And, and I'm, <laughs> but it is that process of like, where are they really at on the virtues? You know, like you could sit down with the two, two quote unquote Catholic people, but it, it doesn't just automatically assume anything. And, and Steph, who keeps me in line with my faith, um, it really is that process of really trying to work on myself yeah. to then bring it out in her. But it's, it is funny. Like it's a, it's a chain reaction, especially of the finance conversation and Steph leaving all of the baby bottles out. And then I am in a frantic panic trying to clean one when Gianna's crying and like those things. And those are, I guess, surface level um, arguments that would you say that those in those examples, how does that turn on a virtue for me? Like, how does that, or does it like what is yeah, lacking there? Is. So what is lacking there? So you could pick anything with those patience. So patience, for instance, mm. would be one. So patience is the chief manifestation of courage. So courage is the cardinal virtue, courage or fortitude. Yep. And patience hinges on courage and patience. Aquinas says is the, is the chief manifestation of courage. 
So courage is the willingness to suffer for what's good. Patience, Aquinas says, is the chief example because patience implies that you're not suffering once, but for an extended period of time. Oh. Right? Yeah. And so, and so think of it this way. So like, imagine if you had a spouse who has precisely zero patience. Most people, when they get married, they find out they have less patience than they thought they did. Yep. <laughs> but one who really, but think of someone like, like you have patience. Think of someone who has zero patience. Yeah. Like they're not going to be a good spouse. Or, or here's one for you. Like one of the ones I think of, I'm, I'm not a big fan of video games. We talked about that with Dr. Sachs. But I think, I think video games tend to keep men as boys. Mm-hmm. But if you've trained yourself your whole life to, to play video games and that's what you're all about. Um, it's not the worst vice ever, but I think it is a vice. Yeah. And you're less free. It's harder for you to serve your family, you know? And so if your wife is like, honey, I'm cleaning dishes and the baby's screaming and you're in the middle of halo four or whatever <laughs> game it is out there. And you, you like, and let's say you do the right thing. You're like, okay, I'll go take care of the baby. But you're annoyed. Right. You're annoyed because she just interrupted it's, your video game. It's because you have because you've trained yourself to need something. Right. And, that's, uh, and so I think, I think for a lot of us, and again, this doesn't mean people are bad. I'm the same way. We've trained ourselves to, to kind of be selfish. Yep. And, and it's really hard in the modern world. Marriage will demand everything of you. When you step into your marriage, you've got to give, you've got to lose your name. You've got to lose your name at Patrick, Patrick and Steph's wedding. I actually proposed that Patrick lose his name as well. And that they become Patrick and Stephanie Larkin. That's right. That's yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You got to lose your name. You got to lose your life. And that's how do you teach that in marriage prep? Oh, and then even, I mean, as you're saying that and I, you know, the compliment of I am patient, but it, uh, sometimes I definitely don't feel like I am. And it, especially with baby life. Yep. And when you're saying this right now, it's like, man, Gianna. So Steph went to Bible study Tuesday night and it was just me and Jeej. Yep. And Steph left and I'm just trying to like have a relaxing time with Jeej. Yep. And I'm by myself, I'm downstairs and Gianna's wearing like a base layer, kind of like cut off deal. And then a whatever onesie on top, the yep. full leggings. Kind of like you. That's right. Yeah. Um, it's the coziest. Um, but so multiple layers and the bottom one only comes off over the head. Like, so there's no way to get it off. It's like a regular t-shirt basically, okay. um, which is tough with a little baby. But I look down and she had a blowout all over her back, like we, through all of it. We've all been there. It Talk about the patient scenario though. I look over, there's no diapers downstairs. I've got a baby that has doo-doo all over the place. Yeah. And talk about testing every single virtue yep. <laughs> in one instant, like, boom, there yep. it is. And it's a continual, I guess that's the one thing. If you can recognize, one, not beat yourself up for it, but two, recognize him and continue to just try to chip away. Yep. That is the most like important part. And I, I am still like absolutely not there, but it is interesting to think about because it's something to strive for yep. in those areas. And what better test than that? And if there's anyone out there, my, my big plug for this is work on this while you're single. 
Yeah. And if you're married, still work on it right now. You'll be a better spouse. And you can, you, you really can change. Don't tell yourself you can't. That's the lie from the devil. You can change. Totally. It might be hard, but you can change. But also, um, my last plug for today is go to church. Yeah. Because my, one of the things that drives me nuts, these young people, is they, they live their life based on what they want to do. And a lot of them don't want to go to church. And so life is what I want to do. If you can't go to church to, to worship the God who created you, who redeemed you, who died for you on the cross, to me, that's a sign of you have not grown out of that immaturity where life is just about you and what you want to do. I want my Sundays. It's not me. Um, I'm saying, well, no, I'm I can't saying. sing it. <laughs> I was going to sing that. I want my MTV. You looked at me and I was like, no, 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 time out. I'm not, I'm not saying that about me. Um, yeah, that's, that's deep stuff. Um, which is so fascinating where it does make it tough when trying to explain the marriage prep process. And especially if you don't understand the full beauty behind it, it all of a sudden just seems like, I've got to meet with this. The priest three times, I got to do NFP. I got to do, it's a bunch of to do's. Yeah. I've got a couple like this right now. Yeah. And it, I feel like it's more often than not, like if you are not, if you do not understand it and, or it's not explained well, you walk away just feeling forced to do something before you can marry this person that you love. And, and we're over time, but I, I will say this. No one, people don't think that priests or by extension that people who work in parishes are real people. Yep. We feel used constantly. Yeah. And the flip side of the coin for us is if you don't want to get married in the Catholic church, don't do it. I mean, I want you to, I believe in it a thousand percent and I'm going to do my darndest to convince you of it, but I'm not, I'm not sitting around all day being bored, (laughs) wishing someone would come talk to me so that I could have something to do. Yeah. I am busy out of my mind and couples, when they come to us, they're asking us to marry them in the Catholic church. If you're going to do that, put on your big boy pants, grow up and act like an adult. And a lot of you guys out there, I'm like venting about young adults today, but they don't. Yeah. They act like I'm torturing them by making them go through these things. And I'm like, if you don't want to get married according to the law of God and his church, go get married on your hillside. Best of luck to you. Yeah. Don't go, do, go it do your, your shared mom. selfishness thing. Go do that. Yeah. That's great. I'll, I, I have plenty to do. I'll be just fine. It's bigger than just doing it for your parent. That's demanding it. Yeah. Um, wow. Okay. Marriage. Check in with me in three months and see where, what advice I would give. Um, okay. So we also had a great suggestion. I'm going to try to work on this in our about section will be our email rant at lordsdenver.org. They pointed out that you generally have to listen to the very end and find the yeah, spot to find out suggestion. the email. So we will do that. It will be in the show notes or the about section. Um, email in, let us know your questions. And again, we have, yeah, we've far exceeded any uh, thoughts that I would have on this podcast and, and the reach that is happening. Our numbers are pretty wild for just two guys, uh, priests and, and a random dude just talking. Um, so thank you guys. Email in and peace out Cub Scout. The, oh, nice. Yeah. Later Gators. I'm still hip. That's <laughs> still got it. <laughs> All right. Bye.